This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with Thanex creator Dan Farr. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. In this episode, Dan Farr, husband, father, entrepreneur, imagineer, creator, and producer of FanX, a world-class pop culture phenomenon that brings 100,000 people together in a three-day mega Comic-Con-style experience with celebrity guest panels that have included Buzz Aldrin, William Shatner, Lou Ferrigno, NSYNC, and the cast of Cobra Kai, autograph signings, pro-ops, gaming competitions, photo ops, cosplay contests, KidCon, and the film festival. In this episode, Dan shares his life filled with childlike wonderment and climbed to the top of the celebrity fan experience, giving us an inside glimpse into the difference between ROI, return on investment, and ROE, return on experience. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark. You've heard so many episodes by now and you've subscribed and downloaded so many of my interviews, but today's interview is going to be one of the most igniting, if that's even a word, <laughs> one of the most in- interesting interviews I've ever conducted because Dan Farr not only is a serial entrepreneur, but he's got to be one of the most creative and fun-loving human beings on the planet, especially if it's true that we, that we when we love what we do, we never work a day in our life. I'm reminded of being on a panel. I was a panelist at the Maui Writers Convention in Hawaii. It's a great honor as an author. And I was on the panel, I was on the program with Steven Spielberg and Matt Damien's mother. And what an extraordinary experience. And they opened it up to questions and answers. And the first question asked of Steven Spielberg was, with so many hundreds and thousands of manuscripts Uh, sent to you, how do you decide which movies you're going to make? And his reply was, I only make movies that I want to see. And I immediately think of my friend Dan Farr on what he's been able to create based on what he would want to attend in a conference, what people he would want to meet, what superstar celebrities and heroes he would want to interact with. And in order to make that a reality, what did he do? He created Utah's largest convention with about 100,000 attendees coming every single year. It's called FanX. Please welcome to my program the founder, the creator, the idea guy of FanX, Dan Farr. Welcome, bro. Well, Dan, I, I have to say uh, I've, I really feel that you've... Uh, Set a really high standard for me to have to live up to on this podcast here. You know, I I really appreciate what you're saying, and when you you mentioned that uh, when you do something you really love, you don't have to work a day in your life. And I, I have to say, I, I do not feel like I, I work for a living. I mean, there's times that it's stressful, of course. Absolutely. You know, when when you have a business, you you never really, you know, you, it's kind of like the business. You, you know, you you work for your own business. People say, I want to have my own business, and it's like. 
well, I'm sorry, the business owns you still. You, you may not have a boss, but you still, the business owns you. And so, Absolutely. But I love it. Which brings up a very interesting point. You know, when I interview entrepreneurs and I'm invited to speak at entrepreneur <clears throat> schools across the country, I think what you said is most people think I want to be an entrepreneur so that I can work for myself, and then they end up being shackled and married to their business, which could be disastrous, right? Yeah, they, they work longer hours working for themselves, and they have less flexibility many times than if they were to go and get a, a regular job. And I, I've, I've had people ask me that, you know, we've done like the, uh, you know, gone into classrooms and things and talked about my career. And it's like, people say, yeah, I want to own my own business so I can be flexible and work for myself. And, well, there's more to it than that. Yes, sir. And so fundamentally, um, in the world of entrepreneurship, we have to realize that you don't exchange time for money, you exchange ideas for money. So in reality, there's no such thing as a financial crisis, only an idea crisis. Ideas create income. So let's just go right to the beginning. Okay. Obviously, the, the title of this this podcast is Power Players, how we can ignite the, the power within us so that we can also do and think and have the success that Dan Farr and the rest of the champions in the world uh, enjoy. So let's just get right back to where it began as, as a young man. How did, you, how did you decide that you were fascinated or when did you decide you were fascinated by comic books or by superheroes? and everything that drove you to come up with this Fanex idea? Well, you know, I, I've always enjoyed pop culture. You know, I, I watched the Star Wars movies. I watched, you know, I remember growing up with the Incredible Hulk and, uh, you know, Hercules, you know, any of the, uh, the series, TV shows, or the movies that were superhero or pop culture driven, I, I loved them. So I, I've always enjoyed that, but I would never put myself in the, in the the category is the super fan, and to me, the super fan or the, or the fanboy, fan girl category is somebody that goes out and buys that T-shirt for that fandom that they follow. That, that to me, is the kind of the dividing line. Somebody that just enjoys it when they see it, versus somebody like, hey, I need to get this this T-shirt or this Funko popular. Obviously, not they didn't have Funko pop when I was a kid, but I mean, those type of things, you know, the collectibles. I was not into that, but my wife was really into that. She was the one that wow. we. Uh, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago, she set up a, a Star Wars Christmas tree in our house. And I'm like, why are we doing that? I, mean, I, I like Star Wars, but a Christmas tree? And, and so she started, you know, she started getting some collectibles and things, and I, I didn't really grasp it until I started attending as a vendor for my last business, which was Daz 3D. Uh, we started vending at these comic book conventions. and. When I went there as a vendor, I was like, I was like, blown away by the energy that was there. You could just feel it in the room. You know, you didn't, you didn't have to be there for a specific purpose. You could just be there and just feel the excitement that the people uh, attending the shows were feeling. And I, I would talk to my wife. I talked to other people that I was working with at the time. Like, why don't we have something like that here in Utah? And um, you know, we looked into. We saw that there were a few smaller events that were happening, but there was nothing that had. That uh, that level of just energy and excitement, uh, well, you know, it's a, a small portion of it, but didn't really kind of have the full picture of what the event was. And so, um, 
I was transitioning out of my last business. And what was that? Just to clarify, yeah, what, yeah. what did you do? Daz 3D, I was one of the founders there, and we, we did 3D software and digital figures that people would use to create art and animation, and so that's where we kind of pulled into the comic book uh, portion of it because we would have uh, comic book artists that would use our software to, to help them in illustrating comic books. Wow. So, so that was kind of the, the tie to the show, and, and you know we had moderate success there. It was it was for me going to those shows was actually more successful in hearing what the customers are saying in real time. You know, just kind of get a chance to present the software and the 3D models and, and see what the sales pitch is. You know, what does it take to get somebody converted? So I I, I went there for really the purpose of just kind of learning the conversion pro process. We pay for ourselves, when, when we go to these shows, we pay for ourselves being there, but it was really, you know, it wasn't, being an online business, which was, you know, 99% of the revenue that came in, this was just more of an experience to just see what, you know, how people are reacting to the software. So, um, I attended those shows as vendors for like two or three years. In that process, got to know some of the celebrities that were there and also some of the celebrity managers uh, that would be booking uh, the celebrities at different conventions. And um, in the process, I had talked to another group, like, hey, why don't you bring a show to Utah? And they, they said, well, we looked into Salt Lake. We, in fact, we even flew out there last year and checked it out. And we don't really feel like it's the right place yet. Um, you know, there's some other cities that we feel are more important for us to be in than Salt Lake. I'm like, okay. Well, then I, as I transitioned away from DAS 3D, I, th I thought, you know what? I want to do it. I want to start one here. And so, um, uh, started just attending a few other shows just to really gather the information, started talking to the managers and people that um, really to get the talent there. And that's really the, the celebrities kind of became the hub of what the event was. And, and my business partner at the time, Brian Brandenburg, I brought him in to do the marketing and then eventually made him a part of, partner of the business. Um, he and I attended a show in Portland, and it was their first year show, and we saw just that excitement, but we knew that what, what happened when you walked into the energy, you, you think, man, if more people knew about this, this could be so much bigger. And so that was the first year show in Portland that had, I think, about 15,000 attendees. Mm -hmm. and so we were kind of shooting our target for 15,000 people, you know, 10 to 15,000. Over how many days? Over th uh, three days. And so, so we're looking at, but I'm saying ten to fifteen thousand individual people. So they, you know, some people may mm -hmm. probably would come two or three days. So um, anyway, we were thinking, and we were going to do it at the Southtown Mall. Sure. I mean, not the mall, Southtown Convention Center. It's Mount, yeah, Mount America Center now. So we had on reserve one hall. They have five halls there that you can reserve. They're forty-five thousand square feet per hall. So we had one hall in reserve and an option on the second one. So we started announcing that we we're going to do the event and, and then we put tickets on sale and people started buying tickets right away. They were so excited about what was happening. You know, we announced our first four or five guests and uh, people were, you know, just the excitement on social media started building up and tickets were selling. We're like, wow, well, let's go ahead and take that second hall. We also had vendors coming in. People wanting to fill the space. And then we decided, let's do the third hall. Yeah, way and before he even opened the doors. Yeah, way before. This was probably, a, uh -huh. our, our first event was, I think, September 5th. And this was back in, you know, 
April, May, June, mm -hmm. right around that time after we've announced some of the guests. Then we get to the point we have maybe eight or 10 guests lined up and one of the managers we were working with uh, managed uh, William Shatner. Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, at first we're thinking, well, let's not bring in him. He, he, you know, he's gonna be a little too uh, costly for us for this first show. Let, let's be a little more cautious. So we decided to hold off until got to July. And we thought, you know, we have enough people coming to the show because I think we probably had 4,000 tickets sold at mm -hmm. that time. And just kind of knowing how it builds up as you get closer to the event and, and hearing the, you know, what other conventions had seen. So we we're thinking, hey, we're, we're going to get to the ten or 15,000 number. Well, we announced him, and within a couple of weeks, it went from 4,000 tickets sold up to eight, nine, ten thousand tickets sold. Like, wow, this is great. So we're already kind of at our bottom mm -hmm. end in July of what we were anticipating. And we expanded, and we were at the point where we had all, we had four of the five halls. There was another group in the fifth hall. And so we talked to the company that actually manages the Salt Palace downtown, too. And we're like, well, we really, originally, we wanted to be downtown, but it's not really, the, usually the community-based uh, conventions end up at the South Town or the uh, Mount America Center. Uh, and so we uh, talked to them, we said, hey, what if we, went down there and, and one other thing that happens uh, in Salt Lake in downtown uh, the convention center in Salt Palace is they have a lot more exit doors so basically you put more people on the floor at the same time where at Southtown we're thinking okay we can't have 20,000 people here or 25 you know that's going to be too many people at, at one time and so we ended up moving it down town to Salt Lake when we did that it actually became another inflection point you know it's like we had our oh, yes. you know first inflection point just announcing the event and then announcing guests and then announcing William Shatner then announcing that hey we're so big we're getting so much interest in this that we have to move it downtown yes, sir. and that kind of became you know that momentum kept moving uh, forward and then we got to the point we we're getting up to the week of the event and we had about 20,000 tickets sold at that time <laughs> And we're like, wow, this thing's still growing. And I had been working for months to try to get in Stan Lee. Mm -hmm. If anybody, you know, people don't know who he is, he's the creator of Marvel, Marvel Comics and Spider-Man. And, Absolutely. you know, really he's the godfather of this whole industry. And uh, I had been trying to get him in. He had booked himself, at, or his manager booked him into another show. Then for one reason or another, they had to cancel that show. And so he was sit still sitting open. I was still pinging the manager say, hey, you need to do this. Um, I, I sent a message that, hey, we've got 20,000 tickets sold now. You really should uh, bring Stan out. And then at the same time, Lou Frigno yeah. was going to come out and do some press for us. But he because said... Because of, of, of your childhood hero. In I know. In the whole, exactly. It was fun. And I met Lou at some of the other mm -hmm. shows. And, and I had, you know, I was working with him directly. And he was going to come out on Tuesday of, of our event and do some press. But he said, Monday I have to go to um, Venice, I'm going to get a Lifetime Achievement Award given to me by Stan Lee. I said, Lou, you're going to see Stan? Tell him he's got to come to the show. And so... Up on the same private jet yeah, right, so right. Well, and that's the thing is, so, so <clears throat> Lou talked to him, encouraged him, twisted his arm. The fact that we had the 20,000 tickets sold, <clears throat> um, all that came together. So on Tuesday, when our show was starting on Thursday, we got word that Stanley was going to join us, and you talked about it. Just really that crescendo of like, oh, yeah. how did this come together? We could not have planned it better. And so he came in 
on Saturday. It was going to get in Saturday, I think, at one o'clock. So we we didn't even have him for a full day, but we just had you know we had him coming in for a partial day. But he, um, the governor, picked him up at the oh, airport. Yeah, absolutely. And that that just kind of set the stage. And then when he came to our show, he was as busy as I've ever seen him because I had seen him at a lot of other conventions. Mm -hmm. Got to um, talk to him there, but he was just so busy. He was so busy that he wasn't going to take you know, or his manager wasn't going to have him take time to do the panel because. The celebrities generally would do a panel. Absolutely. So we had 3,500 people waiting in the panel room. That our panel rooms were smaller at that time. Now they're 5,000. Uh, but we have 3,000 to 3,500 people just chanting and anxious. And, and I had somebody come up to me and say, Dan, you've got to get Stan in this room. The fans are going nuts, and they need to see him. And the manager won't let him go. So I went over to the manager and said, listen, got these fans in the room that need to see Stan. And I know that, you know, he, he's here and he's busy. And he said, you know, the manager said, yeah, look at all these people. I, I don't want to leave these people here. And I said, well, what can we do? And he said, he said, okay, 20 minutes. We'll get him in there for 20 minutes. And so we walk into that room and the manager gets up and he looks at the room and sees that excitement and that size of the crowd that was there. And he turns back to me and goes, can you believe this? This is crazy. And his eyes just got giant. And he pulls out his cell phone and he starts recording the audience and he goes, I can't believe this, this is the craziest thing. And then Stan goes up on stage and um, he was just blown away by the, you know, the excitement, the energy. Oh, yeah. it, it was really the way everything came together. Uh, the fans, they loved it. They got their opportunity, but it just, it, it was like, we could not have planned that the way everything came together the way it did. So let's let's interrupt here for a second and regurgitate. So as we established earlier, no such thing as a financial crisis, so only an idea crisis, ideas create income. So your idea was magnificent and it was actually as big as it ended up being, even though you might not have known that. Yeah. Your, your dream, your idea, it started off big, not small, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. We have to think big. Number two, in my experience working with entrepreneurs, there are three phases of every enterprise. The pioneering stage, how do you start it? What's the idea? And how do you get it going? The momentum stage, mm -hmm. and then the restructuring stage. And I used to think they were they were mutually exclusive, and now we all know that they're simultaneous events. Mm -hmm. Back to your ex explanation of what happened at the South Town Expo, one, one hall, then the second hall. Which means in the entrepreneurial world, we have to have flexibility. We have to understand <laughs> that under yeah. pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You, you fall to the level of your training, which begins with your mind and your attitude. Yeah. And the, the third thing that you reminded me about is something that I love to quote from Dr. Jim Rohn, that we become the average of the five people we associate with the most, which means we must be willing to pay any price and travel any distance to associate with extraordinary human beings. I quote that all the time in this podcast, which means that your idea doesn't have to appeal to everybody. But the, 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 the idea that galvanized everyone together is the lesson that all of us need to learn. Find our tribe, find our peers. Yes. The purpose of a leader is to grow more leaders who believe what you believe, not generate more followers. And look what you did. Well, that, Just by, by inviting celebrities who believed what the fans believed and fans who believed what the celebrities believed, and then you as the captain of the ship, you were able to mm -hmm. put them all on the same boat and sail on this on this huge 
huge sea of Comic-Con, of FanX, of this extraordinary experience of people who think differently than most people. In other words, mm -hmm. they fantasize, which is not a bad word. No. It means that they live their lives in childlike wonderment with curiosity, which is probably the greatest quality that any leader, any entrepreneur, any parent, any friend could have. So that we don't look at each other for what we are, but for what we have the power to become. And you think about William Shatner, what year was that when you first brought him in? 2013. 2013, and he's now... He's 91. In, and now yeah. at 91, he's now gone into orbit. Yes. And been able to validate what all of these Comic-Con FanX fans and attendees and ticket buyers talked about in a fantasy world way back in 2013, and now it's reality. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'll say, you, know, you talked about surrounding yourself with the right people. It was amazing how the right components came together. I, I had a lot of people reach out to me and would say, hey, I do this sort of thing. I'm, I'm familiar with this. And, and we bring them in and they just excelled. They did such a great job. And really that the staff that worked together on that first event, there were so many hiccups that first event. Yeah. We didn't, you know, we were coming at this and saying, hey, we've done this 12 times, 20 times before. It's like, this is our first time. We did partner with uh, Utah Media Group, mm -hmm. and they had done events, and so they were our kind of anchor as far as just how do you bring vendors in, how do you set them up and design booths or whatever. So they took care of all that. They helped with the ticketing and, you know, just kind of the mechanical items, but there were so many other components that needed to be pulled together. You know, just what, what happens in the panel rooms, and we had people come in and put together the panel rooms and put together really what happened, like for example, Chris Provost, who, who's our MC at the event, he came in on the very first event. I didn't know who Chris was, I, but somebody on our team reached out to Chris and brought him in and made him the MC and Chris has just grown, you know, he's got a, uh, a big following at a Disney podcast or a Disney uh, YouTube channel now. Mm -hmm. and, um, his his growth in this has been really fun to kind of see going along with ours, but it started on day one when he was there. I had no idea who he was. <laughs> you know, I had never seen him before that event, and he's, a, he's become really a celebrity of our event. When people see him, they, they get excited. And, because and, he believed in the cause that you believed in, which the fans believed in. Yeah. And so from an entrepreneurial a, a business perspective, maybe would you suggest that if you believe in an idea don't bounce it off of the naysayers, the people who tell you that's a bad idea or you don't, I don't think it'll work. Yeah. But you go to people who believe what you believe because you said basically that you had this team of people who had not done it before, but because they believed in it and they were focused on the same destination, they just figured it out. They did. And, and that, that's absolutely correct. I mean, because I, I did have enough people that would say, yeah, really, I don't know that, I don't, I don't see that happening. Uh, 10,000 people, oh boy, that's going to be a challenge. I don't know how you can do it. Well, we ended up with around 70,000 people when all was done. We had a two to four hour line to get in, which as a promoter, I should look at that and say, wow, that's a, that's a good symbol of popularity. But it just made me sick to think that there's people out in the line waiting to get in and experience that event and then we couldn't get them in the door fast enough. And so that's the... The, the biggest challenge, but it was it was amazing. People had a great time, and we started us on the path to I don't know what twelve to fifteen other shows since then. Absolutely, we'll yeah. talk about that before we get up the air. So, questions that everybody would want to know. <clears throat> so, in a three-day event, if I buy a ticket, what 
what opportunities do you present? What can I expect over a three-day period of time? So the three-day period of time will... Wait, 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 yeah, wait, wait. Better question, brother. Yes. It's not Comic-Con. Yes. You started with that concept, with that idea, with that, 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 that experience of energy. Yes. But you created and founded FanX. For those of you who don't know Dan Farr, he makes it about the fan experience first. Mm -hmm. So when we start talking about entrepreneurship, when we start talking about businesses as a professional speaker, I always relate to what gets in the way. Too many times I get together with fellow professional speakers and they'll say, Wednesday my audience loved me, but Friday they sucked, as if it was about them instead of about the audience. Mm -hmm. So as I teach public speaking, I always remind my students, seek to bless, not impress. Yeah. That if people leave my speech impressed with me, then I blew it. But if they leave impressed with themselves, with a different mindset and heart set, and a different re, you know recalibrated energy, then I've I've nailed it. Yeah. If you're nervous before you speak, that means you think it's about you. And if you're excited before you speak, it means it's about the audience. So FanX is more than just a brand. It's more than just a title. It reflects your personality. And it's a mission statement. And it's a mission statement. What can we do to make this a fan experience? Remember, everybody's talking about ROI, return on investment, yeah. return on investment. Dan Farr, as I've looked into your past and I've gotten to know you socially, you're about ROE, return on experience. Yeah. So now the question, what can attendee, what can an attendee, what can a ticket buyer expect over a three-day experience as you help them make memories that last a lifetime? Well, we've continued to add a lot to it, but uh, from the beginning we've had the panel room so people would have discussions on Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever, or Star Wars versus Star Trek or whatever. You know, there, There's a lot of things in the breakout rooms that we had Leading in the breakout rooms, largest panels are the ones that are the celebrities that are talking you know, themselves. For example, Lou Fregno when he came to our first event. You know, I mentioned how people, how people were excited about Stan Lee. Well, Lou had told me, he said, he goes, yeah, I probably need about 500, you know, you know, a room that holds 500 people. Well, we put him in a 3,500 seat room and filled it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's, it, that's a good portion of what happens there. We have a lot of vendors that come in from all over the country and sometimes other parts of the world that bring very unique pop culture related products. Such as? Uh, well, uh, obviously t-shirts. And we talked about t-shirts early on that that's kind of, to me it's the, the tipping point of a fan versus a, you know, not, you know, somebody that maybe just is passively interested. Um, but collectible items, Funko Pops or uh, artwork, a lot of creative artwork. We we have a whole artist alley of many of them are comic book artists, so we do bring in a lot of the artists who illustrate the books. So they're they're a whole line of celebrities in amongst themselves. You know, you got you got the on camera celebrities or the voice actor celebrities, but the comic book artists and, and creators are also celebrities. And people will bring their comic books to have them signed by the artist that illustrated them or the writer that that, that wrote them. And uh, so we had a lot of that there, and the artist alley just, just the creativity in that area. As I mentioned about the creativity that, that or the, let's say the energy that drew me into it, it was really that creativity that was prevalent in these events. And so um, we have that, and you know the vendors also, um, you know we obviously comic book vendors, and we have. Uh, vendors that, uh, I'm trying to think what else, I mean, it's just basically anything that's pop culture related, I mean, very unique things. Some people might do 3D or prints inside of the etchum inside of like crystal, or oh. we have people that would do 3D scans and then take your scan and put it in the crystal. So instead of 
you, you don't just pigeonhole fanatics into comic books and comic. No. When you start talking about Star Trek and Star Wars, how would you define the celebrity base, the fan base? Is it just anything that's science fiction, anything that just that gets our, our curiosity, our imagination fired up again? That is the core of it, yeah. The, the, the sci-fi, the fantasy, the imagination, it really is, to me, People would ask, you know, what, why is Utah such a successful show? And what is it about the people here that make the show so successful? And I, I say it, it's the imagination. People have an imagination. You know, the, Utah leads the nation in many categories with pop culture and fandom, including like a lot of the uh, fantasy writers and the, the fantasy readers. You know, many of them are, are here in the state of Utah. So it is, it is something we love. The very you know, first interactive video game. Yeah, dragons and uh, whatever it was called. It was created and produced right here in Salt Lake City by a couple of animators. Wow, how cool yeah. is that? Yeah. see. No, it's, it's so. Great. Would you would you have animated films as part of Fanex, such as Moana? You know, there's a Utah kid who uh, who graduated in animation. Mm -hmm. I think from BYU. I, I know his parents. I know him so well, and with his Polynesian background and his artistic expertise, he was not just an animator on, on Disney's Moana, but he gave some input on the script and on the character of Maui, and oh, what a great legacy for him to work in Dis at, at Disney in California. So other other films, other other categories that you would represent at FanX, for well, example, like, like you said, yeah. Games and an animations as well. Yeah, we, we have had, uh, like, University of Utah has a really solid games department. They've done some stuff with us at, at the events. We've done some panels, and sometimes they have a booth. Um, as far as like animation, we do get a lot of voice actors at the oh. show. So the voices for the characters, you know, like last time we had Winnie the Pooh. You know, Jim Cummings is the voice of Winnie the Pooh for the last 30 years or however long he's done it. Really fun person. Jess Harnell, who's one of our regular guests, we bring him back because there's a panel that Jess will do with some of the other voice actors. It's called Twisted Tunes. And so basically, they'll read a script like a, like picture Star Wars. And then imagine Darth Vader is voiced by Winnie the Pooh. So you're reading the script, you know, so, so you get to hear these characters, whether they're game characters or, or movie characters. Sometimes they do impressionists. You know, I mean, you're going to have Elvis and Christopher Walken that will be a character at some point in the, in the script. And they, they change it up so they'll, they'll do one scene and they'll have it this way. Then they'll get to the next scene and they'll change it up. And it's been um, one of our most popular panels. So I'm, I'm yeah. like a little kid. I'm definitely going to attend that part. Yeah. So for the benefit of those of us who are actually inspired by the lives of celebrities, those who are the real deal, the same off stage as they are on stage, the same off screen as they are on screen, who are some of your favorite celebrities that you've had since 2013? There are some really great ones. I, I mentioned Jess Hardell just because he came to our first event, I think, in 2014. Tell everybody so, what, what so voices he does. He, well, okay, so you, you, yeah. by name you, you wouldn't necessarily know him, but he's done uh, Wacko in the Animaniacs. He's uh, he's the announcer on America's Funniest Home Videos. But Absolutely. but his list of cartoon voices, like um, like you know, in um, is it Little Mermaid where the the seagulls are going, mine, mine, you know, all the different voices. That was his. You know, they they went, they came to him and said, Hey, Jess, would you uh, 
I want you to say mine like a bunch of different ways. You're like, why am I doing this? And then he goes and sees the movie, and you know, here that's where they end up using it. But then, uh, if you go to Disneyland, um, Splash Mountain, all the Br'er Rabbit and all those voices, that, that's, that's all just, Jess. Yeah. That's Jess. One guy. Yeah, you know, one guy. Now, Can you he, imagine sitting down having a cup of coffee or some scrambled eggs with this guy? You oh, never know who you're so talking fun. to. Oh, yeah. well, we, we'll have to arrange it. Absolutely. Sometime. We got to yeah. get you yeah. in there. But um, well, so anyway, we've got. Um, with, with Jess, he's been one of our best ones. From the very get-go, the very first show, a lot of great people, but one person that really stood out was Henry Winkler. He was so nice to the fans, and I had so many people after the show tell me how, how wonderful Henry was when they met him. Like he would have a line of celebrity, or, or attendees to meet him at, a, at his table, and he'd be talking to people for a minute, and you know, kind of sign an autograph, do, do his thing with them. Then he'll take a minute and a break. He'll walk out in the line, shake people's hands, say, thank you for being here to see me. I'll get, I'll get to you in a minute, but I know yeah. you're waiting here in line. He would just pay that sort of attention to them. And so, He's one of my favorites, too. People who have followed my speaking career, one of my most iconic tear-jerking stories is about an experience I had with Henry Winkler. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'll wow. tell it to you. I'm yeah. Not, I'm here, but it's awesome. So keep going. So uh, um, Henry's amazing. We've had uh, Manu Bennett. Um, he was at our very first show. You'd know him from Spartacus and the Green Arrow. He's uh, Deathstroke on the the, the Green oh. Arrow or the Arrow series. Um, he's done. I was also in the uh, Hobbit as the Azog character, the big uh, pale orc character. Um, oh. So he was the voice and the motion capture for that character. Um, he's done a lot of things, but he really, what's been fun about like Jess and Manu and like Daniel Logan, who's Boba Fett from the Star Wars, the young Boba Fett, um, they develop so many friends here in Utah. It's like, it's not just us that run the conventions, like they have friends all over the state now because they've, they've almost adopted it as a second home. In fact, Daniel Logan, who does play Boba Fett, uh, lived in Sandy for a while. His, his wife got a job here, and so they lived out here for about a year and a half and really, you know, he's a great uh, friend of the convention, a friend of really so many people here in the Valley. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of a lot of the celebrities that uh, have come in have just really, they've, they've developed their own connection with people individually. Like, they, they want to take the time. You know, one, one actor, Ross Marquand uh, from The Walking Dead, um, he's been to our show a couple times and you know, I, but we'll see him again for sure. Absolutely. He just, he's just such a good friend. He, but he just, he'll spend so much time talking to everybody in, in his line. His line stay busy the whole convention. So let's interrupt again to teach, teach people who are public figures, teach people who want to grow their business, who want to be an influencer in a completely different way. You know, I have a few million followers, yeah, but that's the report card of you actually making a difference. What would you suggest that we do as far as, what, what would you see behind the scenes that makes one celebrity or one very successful entrepreneur stand out over another? Obviously, you've been talking about personal connection. Can you can you talk to us and teach us about that? Well, and there, there's there's real and there's fake. And people can generally sense when there's there's fake being thrown at them. And it's, you know, it's, it's being real. Um, I've, I've, come back to Jess again. Jess knows people by name every time they come to see him in line. And he'll, you know, he'll be back a year later and he'll remember the names of the people that are coming to see him, many of them. You know, he obviously can't remember everybody, 
but or I've seen him where he's done a panel, and if somebody stood in line to ask him a question. He goes, "Oh, hey, Joe. Yeah, I talked to him. And, you know, he's basically oh, wow. he's the person just have briefly met him in line and then told him a little bit about him themselves and then came to the panel and he's like calling him by name and the, the people that were with him he's remembering their names too. It's like that's impressive. Uh, Sam Jones, uh, same skill set. I, I went to dinner with Sam Jones in uh, New Orleans one time. Sam Jones is the Flash Gordon, the original Flash Gordon. Oh wow. Yeah and um, we went in the restaurant and he asked people's names and he remembered them through the evening and at the end of the evening he had some autograph stuff that he gave to people. He just wanted it. to thank them for their service, but he just remembered everybody's names. I love it. You know, Taylor Swift, the way she kickstarted her career, you know, her dad from Swift uh, put up about $3 million. I kind of know the inside scoop of how she started uh, in Nashville and she, she, her song, Tim McGraw was on the charts for 57 weeks, which is unheard of because of the financial support. But why I bring this up is because Taylor Swift was so serious about individually responding to people's emails and text messages. And even when she blew up, she filled stadiums, 20,000 seat stadiums with young girls and their mothers mostly. I would take my daughter, so that's why I saw it, an eyewitness who knew the, the, the words to every one of her songs. And in the merchandise world, she would sell out every single every single location. Every t-shirt was gone, every hat. She drove people to join her fan club based on what she said in between her songs. And it was all predicated on her ability and desire and commitment to connect to every single fan in a personal way. So we in the audience believe she was singing to us so that every girl believed that she wrote that song about their broken heart with their high school, mm -hmm. uh, their high school sweetheart or whatever. So this is nothing new, but it's unique to those who really excel and you're the expert eyewitness on, on those who've perfected it. So I think that's pretty sweet. So as we start winding down our time together, Dan, what would you, what advice would you give to someone who has this huge idea like you have. I think we can do this in Utah. I think we can actually bring this kind of a convention to Utah. Mm -hmm. And believing that you could, and I'm putting words in your mouth, so that when you started to expand so quickly in ticket sales, it wasn't a surprise. It was, uh, oh my gosh, this is this is as big as I thought it was gonna be. Yeah. Give us some advice, teach entrepreneurs, teach people who wanna go out on a limb and actually do something as huge and as big as you have. Well, the, the key is to believe in yourself that you can do something big. I, I think so many times people won't even try to attempt things because they think, oh, that's just too big. Um, and really just having that desire to do something bigger than what's just ever. Well, here's the thing is you can, you can be happy, whatever makes you happy, if you're happy doing something that is, you know, very regular and you can count on it and you have time to spend with your family and friends aside and, and your, your needs are met, then that's where you need to be. But if inside of you, there's something telling you, because it seems like there's people like, a lot of people that write books, you know, you know as an author, there's how many times you run to somebody, I have an idea for a book, or I've started a book, I've done this. It, you know, it's, it's 100 to 1 that actually, or 1,001 even, that actually probably actually published. And the first thing is you got to finish the book. But you got to believe that you can do it. Just take the time, because I, I did a uh, Christmas book uh, with Dick Van Dyke in 20, 
2005, we, we published it. And, and uh, people asked us, well, how did you do that? And it's like, well, I just, I believe I wanted to do it. You know, it's something I wanted to do. And I, I had the connection with Dick Van Dyke and he liked the 3D animation illustration that we did. And so that we just able to, it, it took 10 years to do it. So it wasn't something that just happened overnight. It was something that uh, we, we built towards it for a long time. But just be patient, but per persistent. And, and, but the biggest thing is just believe that you can. You know, visualize yourself that you are doing whatever it is you believe you can do. Just visualize yourself doing it and completing it. When do you know that it's a million dollar idea? Is it based on the amount of resistance you get or, or what? How do you really know that I can't give up on this? This is just gonna blow up. I, I think one of the things that does help is you do need a vet ideas. You know, I, I, a lot of times people come to me with an idea for something. And I, I ask them the question, say, would you buy this product if we're on the market? You know, first of all, is that market, is that product on the market? First, search for it and make sure, because people have got, you know, unique ideas. But then, would you buy it? Oh, no, I wouldn't buy it. Why? Okay, so does that mean that other people are going to buy it or not? You know, that's, you kind of do a lot of polling, too. You want to talk to a lot of people, find out if there's a need. Because clearly there's ideas that we may have for a, a, a product or something that we would never use, it doesn't mean that that's the only test for it, but I think that's the first test, is you want to at least look at it and say, would you use it? Would you go out and seek this product and buy it? First, go look and see if it's there, and are you going to buy it if you see it? If you're not going to buy it, then it probably wasn't, wasn't the best idea. It's like the horrific story of Kodak. They're the ones that actually invented the digital camera, but they didn't think there was a market for it, and now they're bankrupt. Yeah. They let somebody else steal the idea. Yeah. Okay, so you have four, a total of four fan, wet Phoenixes around the country, the largest in Utah. Did I get the numbers right there? You had about 95,000 in 2019, and obviously with COVID, I guess we had to pack our bags and close the doors for a bit. But yeah. Tell us about what's happening in the new in, influx of Phoenix here in Utah. Well, in September, we actually did have uh, an equal turnout, pretty much equal within a couple thousand tickets, I think, above what we saw in 2019. So we, we actually did have a good turnout. People wore masks, and it, it was uh, we. But we did spend over double our mark our marketing budget to make sure that we had it well attended. Because we had heard numbers from other conventions around the country that they were seeing about a thirty percent drop in attendees, and so. Um, so you were able to maintain a, right around that hundred thousand yeah. attendees for three days. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. So what are the other two, the other three cities that you take this to, and how did you decide them? How did you vet that population that it would that it would explode with that that group of people who think like you think and believe what you believe? Well, in this case, we actually acquired a company that had started those shows. So that so um, in fact, I think Tampa was has been going even longer than Salt Lake and huh. Indianapolis around the same time. And then Atlanta was a new, little newer show for them. They've run it for a couple of years. So that's one that was still kind of building. Even though the market is fantastic, it's still a show that needs to be built up. But the other, the other shows, that they, they had a good track record, and, and uh, we still feel like there's potential to grow. But the owners, the, the people that started that, were kind of worn out, ready to mm -hmm. try something different. And so we, we just we acquired that. And when I say we, I've talked, my business partner now is Jeff Wright and Abby Wright. Mm -hmm. um, so they're, it, they came into the Salt Lake show and then we went out and acquired those shows together. That's great. So last question, so the, uh, 
podcast is called Power Players. How do you, if you had one hour to live, bro, mm-hmm. tough question. Okay. What would you say to the world? And most people, they immediately want to say, ah, oh, well, I wouldn't work, and I'd go fishing with my child, and I would do this. I'm like, no, 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 no. What, no, what would you do if you had one hour to live? Right. What's your message? What would you say that would help us understand the Dan Farr legacy of leadership and love that you've created that you want to leave behind? I, I want to bring more happiness than disappointment. I, I, want, I want to help make other people happy because I, I become, like, like people would say at the convention, you must be a huge fan. And like, well, actually, I'm a fan of the fans. I live vicariously through them. Who do you want to bring to the convention? I want to bring the guest that's going to create the most impact for the people there. And I can live vicariously through those people there. And so for me, I want to always be nice to people. I want to help bring a smile, put a smile on their face. Um, Just really um, to be a good person in that way. That, that, that to me, where I get the reward, and that's where I, I, I satisfaction that I'm doing something of value, is really how much it's impacting in a positive way other people's lives. So we've all heard about writing a, a mission statement and a vision statement, and in the company corporate world, we know that a mission and a vision statement basically just define the business that we work in or work on in our organization, but a purpose statement actually defines why and and how we do it. And Disney is so famous for their purpose statement. It simply says, we create happiness in others. And, uh, you know, I would suspect that they stole that from Dan Farr, not the other way around, it sounds like. I think P.T. Barnum has said, the most noble of causes is to bring happiness into other people or something along those lines. You probably know the quote, yeah. And you do it. That's your reputation, and that's why it's such an honor to have you on my podcast. How do people buy tickets? How do people spread the word that if you can imagine walking into an empty convention ballroom space, massive connected rooms, and feeling that energy and then being able to take that energy home with you, that's an experience everybody needs to have regardless. If you think you're a fan of comic books or of science fiction movies, you will be one when you leave. How do they find you? How can we support you? So fanx.com. That's pretty simple. So fanx.com. And uh, the information's there. Of course, you can find us on social media too. So, you know, looking up uh, fanx on Facebook or Instagram. Um, you know, I, I did want to say that Besides comic books and fantasy, you know, we've, we've brought in some singers. You know, some of our favorite guests have been Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys, oh. Joey Fatone from NSYNC. We've had uh, um, wrestlers at the, at the event. They've been really popular. Um, just really, you know, we, we try to, if, if it's something that fits into pop culture, if there's fandom, you know, even um, Buzz Aldrin, we had him at one of our events. Football game with them. Oh, wow. But yeah. We have lots to talk about off, off program, Big D. Yeah. And uh, being a Utah native and then thinking bigger than your town validates it's not the size of the dog in the fight that makes you, it's the size of the fight in the dog. It's not the size of the town, it's the size of the dream. And you inspire everyone across this world to, uh, to think big and then to act bigger. Thank you. So we appreciate you so much for having us here. This is Dan Clark with Power Players. 
and obviously Dan Farr taught us, taught us well and mentored us in what it takes for us to ignite our own personal power and do what he has been able to do in his life, creating happiness for everyone who meets him. Thanks, brother, for, for Thank being you. on the program. Glad to be here. I'm glad, glad to have a chance to talk about something I love so much. So Absolutely. thank you for giving me that chance. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.